Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. And today we want to welcome back as our very special guest, Lydia Nuttall. Lydia, thank you for coming back and sharing today's program with our listeners. Oh my goodness, it's my pleasure. It was so much fun last time, I had to do it again. Well, we want to have you continue to do this. So we were talking about Richard Nixon and the presidency of Richard Nixon, and we were just about ready to get on to the idea of Watergate. And Lydia, I was telling the listeners how he overwhelmingly won the election of 1972, which was in November of 72, but the Watergate break-in was in June of 1972. So you were mentioning something about your impression of Richard Nixon growing up because of Watergate, and then your impression now of Richard Nixon when you did some reading on his presidency. Would you share yes. with our listeners again, please? Yeah, it was. It, I, I morphed. I converted over to a different way of thinking about President Nixon because I did my own homework. And what I discovered, well, backing up, as a kid, all I heard was Watergate and how horrible Nixon was and dishonest and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, you know, a blight on the American people and American history. And he resigned because of it. Da, 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 da. So imagine my surprise when I'm learning all these things that I, I would value in any human being. And that is how he's kind of an underdog. He was raised in Southern California, little tiny home that his father built in a lemon grove, read a ton of books because when you're poor, that's one thing that you can do that's free is read a lot. When he became so educated, he had a chance to go to Harvard. He couldn't go to Harvard because his parents didn't have the money. He went to a local college instead. And he just keeps fighting his way through his circumstances to achieve more and to become more. And that's what I loved. I had no idea he was 39 years old yes. when he was vice president to Dwight Eisenhower. Yes. Holy Hannah, 39. Yes. He became a master of international affairs because of that. You know, he flew all around on behalf of President Eisenhower to all these countries and met all these leaders of other countries and gained a mastery of international affairs. That I thought was just so incredible because who would have thought that he would run against Kennedy. I, I think he, he lost because Kennedy won. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, <but laughs> Lydia, he lost by the thinnest margin in American history. He lost to JFK by 118,000 votes in 19. Oh, good heavens. Yeah, that is really, that must have had uh, President Kennedy sweating a little bit. I loved how he was an advocate for civil rights during his presidency. He desegregated Southern schools and he ended the Vietnam War. I love Loved what I learned in the last show, Arch, that because uh, in my studies, I didn't quite get to go that deep in the Vietnam War, but I have been dismayed in my adulthood. My dad served two terms in the Vietnam War, as mentioned in one of our previous shows. And so I had learned that it was a tragic ending of the Vietnam War, that we invested so much life and money of our own in America and Americans to preserve liberty for the South Vietnamese. But when we pulled out for some reason, you know, I thought we had pulled out too early 
And hence the Viet Cong, the communist Vietnamese, northern North Vietnam, invaded South Vietnam to subjugate those people and take away their freedom. And I found out from you that no, President Nixon actually had allocated during his administration money to support the Vietnamese to defend themselves. We didn't just pull everything out, leave them helpless. He had a plan implemented to still support them financially and I'm assuming with training and et cetera, how to defend themselves from the infiltration. That was was Richard Nixon was called the Vietnamation process that he did when he first became president for the first nine or 10 months of his presidency. He really tried to win the Vietnam conflict. And after nine or 10 months, he realized that we were past the point of no return in in South Vietnam. So he did the Vietnamation process, which ultimately got us out of Vietnam and got all the um, POWs home. But again, unfortunately, because of Watergate, Congress defunded any money or military equipment going to the South Vietnamese to continue to try to stop the communists from taking over South Vietnam. And so so I had to let go of that um, belief of mine that it was Richard Nixon's fault because it really wasn't. It was um, not. It was actually, you know, Richard Nixon got us to a voluntary military, which is the best military ever in the world. He got us out of Vietnam and he didn't start it, but he did get us out of Vietnam. There was nothing really we could do at that yeah. point but to get out of there at that point. So yeah. we win, he wins the election of 1972. And by this time, again, with all the good things that Richard Nixon had done with the Watergate break in, the plumbers broke into the Watergate building. And listeners, if you don't know, that's a major building complex in Washington, D.C., where the Democrats had their National Committee headquarters. And so these men, the plumbers, broke in and put wiretaps on the phones of the DNC, and they were caught, they were arrested, and the next morning they were going to be arraigned. Well, Liddy, this is how far our press has changed. There was two young reporters for the Washington Post. Oh, I know who they are. The Washington Post. And Mr. Bradley had no idea what he was going to do with these two young whippersnappers. So he said to them, go down to the courthouse and cover the story of these men that broke into the DNC headquarters. So Woodward and Bernstein went down to the arraignment and they saw the men get out of the van and they knew one of them. Which oh, was, they really? knew one of them who was E. Howard Hunt, who was a former CIA and FBI director. So Woodward and Bernstein begin to think there's some there's maybe more to this story than why would anybody break into a building and what are they going to take that's a, a, a value? And these burglars, they're all dressed in really fine suits and they all have a lot of money on them. There's something that doesn't seem right here. So that's when Woodward and Bernstein began to do the investigation behind the Watergate break-in and ultimately the cover-up. And Lydia, every time they would come back with information, it was very hard to get any information about what was going on uh, because the, the Nixon White House was stonewalling them and not giving them information. So every time they would get a piece of information, they would come back to the Washington Post and give it to their editor, Ben Bradley. And he would say to them, well, you have to have this verified by two or three sources. I cannot just take one source. 
Oh, wow. Well, good for him. And today, today we see the opposite. When somebody gets a piece of information, it's reported and how many times it has to be taken back. That's how much that's interesting. So as Woodward and Bernstein were beginning to try to investigate this, as you said, Mark Felt, who was the liaison in the White House between the FBI and the Nixon administration, called them and said to meet him in a parking garage and that he would talk to them. And they didn't know who he was and he wouldn't tell them who he was. Well, they met with this man and they all agreed that they would never mention this man's name in public. They would never bring his name up. And whatever information he would give them, they would always give him a code name, which that's where you come up with the name Deep Throat. That was Woodward and Bernstein's code name for Mark Felt, who would give them information. And he would give them a little bit of information when they got stalled in their investigation to continue investigating it. So that continued for a long time. And the more they investigated or doing their investigation into the break-in, the more information they were getting to get. And then when they got stuck, Mark felt he would come out and give them another information to help them along. And Lydia, the first piece of information he gave to them, because Woodward and Bernstein thought it was very strange that a group of men would break into the DNC. Wearing suits. Wearing suits and have <laughs> a lot of money. I mean, rolled $100 bill, rolls of money. Mark Felt told Wilbur and Bernstein, follow the money. Interesting. Follow the money. And so what Wilbur and Bernstein did, they traced the money back to a bank in Mexico City. And from Mexico City, they traced it back to a bank in Washington, D.C. And the bank in Washington, D.C. got that money from the committee to reelect the president. Hmm. Which means now there is a tie to the White House with these men, with the plumbers. So the money went from a bank in Mexico City to a bank in Washington, and the bank in Washington got the money deposited into the bank from the committee to reelect the president. Now Wilbur and Bernstein have information that there is a direct tie to the Watergate break-in to the White House. Who was funding then? Who was giving money to the Bank of Mexico? The committee to reelect the president was laundering the money or hiding the money, I should say, sending it to a bank in Mexico, thinking that the bank in Mexico would be able to hide the money that were given to the plumbers for the break-in. Huh. So the plumbers or those five business suit men were getting paid highly to do this? Were getting paid by the Nixon administration to do all these covert illegal activities to get information on anyone running against Richard Nixon or the Democratic National Committee so that the Nixon White House could use it against him in the election, that Nixon was already going to win in a major landslide. This is, again, this was Uh a dumb, stupid, third-rate burglary that never should have happened, that didn't have to happen, but that when Richard Nixon found out about it, he covered it up. And so that, that's what brought down the Nixon presidency. So two questions. Let's see if I can remember both. 
I'll start with the last one first. And the last one is I had heard that had Richard Nixon accepted responsibility for the break-in and that whole scenario and had apologized that perhaps the American public, the media, et cetera, would have been softer and, you know, for him to own up to it. But my next question is, when people run for a political position, they often hire a campaign manager to do all the ABCs, one, two, threes of a campaign because it's a lot of work. And there's a lot that goes into running a campaign financially or with the media and meetings and etc. And so often you'll hire a campaign manager to do stuff for you so that you don't have to. And so I'm wondering how innocent is President Nixon for real? Or or, or is that the whole point of Watergate is that we discovered he really did know what was going on and and, and didn't say anything. He didn't stop it, even though it was illegal or or not ethical. Um, That's the part I don't know. Let me answer that. His campaign manager was John Mitchell. And John Mitchell was the former attorney general. What? He was the attorney general who resigned from being attorney general so they could be Richard Nixon's campaign manager. And John Mitchell knew exactly all the illegal activities that the plumbers were doing Dang. and of the break in. So he, he also got in major trouble for this break in. So we're still we know, Lydia, that Richard Nixon, at least when he found out about the break in and when he found out about what they did, he tried to stonewall the press and he tried to cover it up. And you're right. If Nixon would have come forth then and fired all these men and told the truth about what had happened there and he wasn't involved in it, he would have gone on. But because he uh. tried to cover it up and he tried to hide the truth for the American public and then ultimately Congress Richard Nixon was now liable for obstruction of justice because as time went on and Woodward and Bernstein went on and the more investigation they did. Now, this, again, was over two and a half years. The investigation was over two and a half years. Finally, after the time, Congress decided they were going to have their own investigation. They had their own investigation. And so they were Congress was asking some of the Nixon administration staff to come and testify before them. And a man named Alexander Butterfield, who was in the Nixon administration, was testifying before Congress about the Watergate break-in. And Butterfield mentioned something to him about Richard Nixon's tapes. And it really caught Congress, and they had no idea what he was talking about. Then they discovered that every conversation that Richard Nixon had in the Oval Office was being tape-recorded. Why? Which because Rich, well, Richard Nixon eventually said that he wanted to have all the notes so he could write his memoirs. Okay. So of anything like it, he wasn't anything, just taping which is, which this is subject. It's illegal to do that. Huh. People are being recorded and they don't know they're being recorded. Oh. So, huh. so the Congress finds out that Richard Nixon has all these tape recordings. Congress now wants to listen to these tapes. And particularly the conversation that Alexander Butterfield was referring to, because they were by this time, John Deed, who was the attorney for the White House, said, I'm I'm not going to 
lie before Congress about the break-in and President Nixon's involvement in it. So Congress wanted Richard Nixon's tape recordings. President Nixon refused to give them over. Congress said, no, we want them. Nixon said, well, I'll give you transcripts. They said, no, we want the tapes. Well, I'll give you some of the tapes. Well, the Congress said, no, we want all the tape recordings. So Richard Nixon claimed executive privilege with the recordings. Congress sued the president in the Supreme Court about what is executive privilege and what is not. Supreme Court quickly ruled nine to zero against Richard Nixon that he wow. had executive privilege with these wow. tapes. So ultimately, when Nixon had to give up these 600 hours of tape recordings, when Congress got to the exact conversation that Butterfield was referring to, it was 18 and a half minutes of tape erasure. That conversation was erased. Which oh, was, no. And President Nixon tried to blame it on his secretary, Mary Wood, that she was, oh, dear. She was um, making transcripts of the conversation. So there's no way physically she could have done that to that conversation. But there were so many other illustrations that Richard Nixon knew about after the break-in. He knew about it, and he tried to cover it up. He tried to stonewall the government. He lied to the American public. He actually tried to bribe some of the witnesses not to testify. So Richard Nixon now, because of the Senate investigation and the tape recordings, and because Woodward and Bernstein's articles that they were writing about the investigation or the break-in, it was very, very established fact that Richard Nixon covered up the Watergate break-in and he tried to do many activities to keep men quiet, not to testify against what he knew and when it happened. It's kind of like that saying, oh, what a tangled web we weave when at first we practice to yep. deceive. Yep. And here in, you know, I love taking American history and going, OK, Lydia, Arch, how does this apply to us? It's so easy for us to point the finger at others' frailties and faults. And obviously, it sounds to me that he had them, don't we all? Yes. But let's not forget the good that he did, because he did do a lot of good. And then let's look at what happened that was a weakness in him that we can then check ourselves and go, is that in us? Yes. You know, when we may know of something going on that's not legal, not honest, not ethical, moral, etc., what do we do if we think maybe it might benefit us a little bit? You know, are we going to let it continue to go on? Because maybe you think that's what happened to him. I mean, do you, it kind of sounds to me that his campaign manager started going down an unethical, illegal path to get President Nixon elected. And President Nixon may have gone, well, I, you know, I know that's probably not right, but I really want to get elected. So I'm just going to wink at this and wink at that. And next thing you know, it just keeps snowballing and snowballing. And then he's got to save face, you know, and then, you know, try to cover up. No, I didn't do it. You know, my hands in the cookie jar, but I didn't do it. I've got chocolate chips all over my face, but I didn't eat any of the chocolate chip cookies, you know, um, and it just makes it worse. And so to me, that's the lesson I am learning from this part of history, that it's better to just stay clean, stay you clean. know, and particularly <laughs> He had such a successful presidency up until that point. 
Yeah. Allowing something this terrible and this illegal and then to for two years lie to the yes. American public and cover that up. Yeah. It, it destroyed so many of the good things that Richard Nixon did at his funeral that because he died in 1994 at his funeral. President Clinton gave the last eulogy. Yeah. And, and he said, now that we've come to the end of President Richard Nixon's life, let us remember his life in totality not by individual events. Wow, I love that. The tragedy is what we mostly remember is something bad that overshadows all the good. And what a tragedy it was for the Nixon presidency, for the country. Yeah. Because he allowed or he covered up this break-in that was a third-rate perjury that never needed to get done. So he resigns to the presidency on August 9th, 1974. He goes back to California. Obviously, he is a piranha, particularly the Republican Party, for a period of time. But Lydia, later on in his life, you know, President Nixon wrote 10 books. Really? And by I 19, didn't know that. Yeah, by 1980, he was making a strong comeback in the Republican Party and in the areas of foreign policy. He made commercials for Governor Ronald Reagan by 1980. Oh, and during the Reagan presidency, the Bush presidency, and then early on in the Clinton presidency, they were asking him for foreign policy advisement. Wow. As he was making a comeback. And then he became what... We now call the senior statesman in America by the latter years of his life as he began to make this comeback in American viewpoint. And once we got past his presidency and once we got past Watergate, he was making a tremendous comeback because there were so many good things that Richard Nixon was able to do. But again, it's such a tragedy because it was all covered over because of what he allowed with the Watergate break in and then his involvement in covering it up. Well, there's definitely a lot of wonderful lessons even in that, that there's life after mistakes. And he obviously didn't just dig a hole and crawl in it or like a dog, tuck his tail between his legs and hide under the couch. He may have for a time after Watergate, but it sounds like he still found more purpose in his life to serve our country and use the talents that he used in his presidency that were wonderful and did amazing things in this country and still served, served the other presidents in a field that he was really good at. And by 1986, a Gallup poll that was taken, President Richard Nixon, the fallen President Richard Nixon, was now one of the 10 most admired men in the world. Wow. I had no idea. That's kind of neat. Good for him. So let me finish this program, Lydia, with this quote from Richard Nixon. When he was saying goodbye to his staff the morning of his resignation, August 9th of 1974, he talked to them for about 45 minutes. And a lot of that, he talked about his mother. And his mother, he was raised in a a very strict Quaker atmosphere. And so the last thing he said to his staff before he left, he said, remember, always give your best. Never be petty. And remember, others may hate you. But those that hate you don't win unless you hate them back. And then you have utterly destroyed yourself. Wow. 
Yay for Richard Nixon's mother. Twice. So, listeners, we need to look, as Lydia said many times, look at the totality of a situation in American history, not by an individual event. But that doesn't mean we should overlook the individual event. And Watergate is a great tragedy on so many different levels for Richard Nixon, the presidency, and America for so many different levels but also because the good that Richard Nixon did as president has been widely overlooked because of this terrible, bleak spot called Watergate. So, Lydia, thank you for coming and sharing on these two shows with me. I certainly appreciate it. So and welcome. Anytime you would like to come back, there's an open door for you. So thank Yay, you. Yay, all right. I'll jump through. Great. So this is 1180 AM WFYL, Working for Your Liberty. <laughs>